my daughter is shouting from the other room what the real title of the song was. We'll ignore that. Um, if you t take a look at the top of the page of the notes that I sent you, So we can see that the raising of hands is all over the pages of scripture. I just wanted to draw to your attention. You see that part where it says iconography there, just before the dotted line. And if you look over to page three, on the lower portion, I think this one is, this is a, this is probably a mosaic I think from San Vitale, in any case, it is from the town in Ravenna. Okay, I would like to get there someday, but in any case, you can see in that lower picture that they've got uh, Melchizedek and Abel, okay, who are both made reference to in the, uh, right? From my uh, charger. Thank you. What a nice woman she is, Paul. Isn't she beautiful? Oh, I should put myself on mute. I'm sorry. Not a problem. Okay. Um, but you see in the center above the altar, do you see how there is just the figure of a hand? Okay. East, Eastern iconography. I don't think I have ever seen a representation of God the Father as a human being. I have seen in Western art pictures such as, I'm pretty sure if you are in the Dunwoody Chapel and you are facing the altar and on the right side, the last of the single panel, so I'm not talking about the lunette, is one of Christ bringing all things to the Father at the end of time. And God the Father is represented there, okay, usually as an older man. The East wouldn't do that. In other words, only the Son became begotten. Only this, I'm sorry, the Son always was begotten. Only the Son became incarnate. The Father is not a human being. Am I making sense? And that therefore, by portraying only the hand, and they're drawing on imagery from the book of Daniel, okay, that God's finger is in it, okay, but God is beyond all conceptualization. Okay? We never fully grasp God. We can't confine him. He is way more than anything that we can conceive. Does that make sense to people? I think it's a, a nice image. And I'm sorry to if, if one of these pictures of the Holy Trinity where you've got God the Father and God the Son next to him and the little dove on top of them, uh, that obviously they're trying to get across the fatherhood of God, but there's a little bit of a danger in that from an Eastern point of view. Make sense? Okay. Now, moving on. Okay. okay. Everybody was able to get the articles that I sent? Okay. But my notes 
are fine. I have a little bit of problems with some of the articles that I sent to you, but we'll get to that in a second. So what we're talking about is, and this is tough to visualize, this is the orons. This is the hands raised, okay? You're all familiar with that, seeing the priest do that at mass. The figure is called an orans because that's the Latin word for praying. So it's like an adjective, a participle, okay, describing the character. And you see that on page three, the figure that's on the top of the page, okay, is an example of an orans. That was not, uh, not limited merely to Christianity or Judaism. It was something that was frequent in the Middle East. This is a point that we're going to come back to this in one of the articles. I was talking to a school, I was preaching actually, to a group of school age children. And I said to them, it's virtually impossible for you, even for the adults, to maintain total concentration all the time. I said, but we give you a sign to help you on when it's really important so that when father is praying and he's praying for himself his hands are folded let me move the screen down a little bit okay. his hands are folded okay when he is praying in our name his hands are with you guys i'm not didn't use this with the kids in an orange gesture Christians obviously like that because not only did it mean praying, but it also reminded them of the saving act of his dying on the cross. So it it had a combo nature to it. What I was saying to these children was that whenever your father puts his hands like this, those are the times that are saying you really ought to concentrate and make the words that he's saying, your words, because he's praying in our name. And so you want to make his prayers, in other words, put yourself into his prayers. Does that make sense to folk? Okay. Now, has come up with other issues. I think the third bullet down, it says no longer as strictly defined as it once was. When we read in the council document about simplifying things, I don't know that in given your backgrounds, you really understood how precise it used to get. I remember helping, okay, this is again before the council, a priest preparing to, actually a deacon preparing for ordination, and he was practicing mass. And the rules at that time, before the changes came, were that he was to extend his arms. You see what I'm doing right here? That no further than, wider than the shoulders, and the tops of his fingers shouldn't be above. Okay? That's pretty definite, right? Am I making sense of Now we're merely saying the hands extended. Okay? That it didn't have to be... And remember under the old rubrics, 
that they even the smallest little thing in theory bound under a mortal sin okay so it could lead towards scrupulosity so we don't have that anymore as in point three but therefore because it's representing the entire community is christ the priest that it is never used by the deacon everybody with me on that one okay so when the priest says the lord be with you okay he will always make that gesture the deacon's going to use those same words the lord be with you as he introduces the gospel but his hands don't go out like that he keeps his hands folded for that gesture that's down the road a piece obviously guys but okay you can keep that for future memory now Attending a Benedictine liturgy of the hours, the rubrics for religious orders are sometimes different than they are for archdiocesans. In the, with the Benedictines, if the abbot or the prior is a priest, then when it comes to the Our Father, because they also have the Our Father in morning prayer and evening prayer, the abbot or the prior sings the our father and the rest of the community listens because he is praying in their name with them and for them so far so good when there is no priest as there is up at mount savior the entire community is brothers they get a priest to come in for mass but he's not part of the community then in the absence of a priest, they will say the Lord's Prayer together. Is that making sense to people? Okay. But if there's a priest, okay. One of the articles pointed out that in the Roman Rite, okay, we, the people, did not say the Our Father. We listened to him sing the Our Father in a sung Mass. Okay what we used to call the difference between a sung mass a missa cantata and a low mass where there was no singing so that for the bigger stipend in words the sung mass he sang the our father it's only in 1958 that there was a provision made for in a low mass for the people to recite the lord's prayer in latin along with him where I'm going with this is, okay, when they came up with the rubrics, okay, they now generally, this is now the first and second edition of the Roman Missal, they said it's now normal every Mass that the people say the Lord's Prayer with the celebrant. Amen? Everybody's comfortable with that? But what they did was, since it's now he is praying with them, they forgot to have him close his hands. Okay, so far so good? Okay. It's still the rubric that he holds his hands like that. Because he's holding his hands like that, and this is one of those moments, especially with little kids who like to imitate. He puts his, there are people who put their hands like that, okay? 
one of the articles was in a rather snotty tone, I thought, trying to say that's not really appropriate that this gesture in the Roman rite is reserved for the priest. So far, so good? Okay, little nods ahead. If it's not making sense, go the other way. And here's now another fly in the ointment is that I am told, not through direct observation, that the Italian church has put in a rubric that says that the people, in fact, do make this gesture along with the priest. So it's a really kind of an up in the air, but the probable best norm is that father on the altar is going to have his hands like that, but deacon on the altar or readers and acolytes in the pews are going to have their hands like this. Amen? Okay? We've got to go with best case scenario rather than with the exceptions. All right? Moving on. Okay. Manibus expansis. This is the outstretched arms. John Tremblay, where are there you are. John, in other words, you asked a question about that, and I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. And if I don't get to it now, we'll get to it at the end of class or even afterwards. Okay. But this gesture for Eastern and Western rites is one that represents the conferral of the Holy Spirit. Okay. The epiclesis. Okay. Now that that 95 cent word you guys have had father Ernest for a course already no okay so epiclesis epi means onto and clao is a verb that means to call so we are an epiclesis is a noun which means we're calling down the holy spirit okay in the roman rite as one of you pointed out i think uh two weeks ago, that there are two epiclesis in many of the canons. One epiclesis is asking the Holy Spirit to change the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. The second epiclesis after the consecration is asking the Holy Spirit through the gift of the Eucharist to unite and bind together the people of God. So that is a gesture that is confined only, not necessarily always only by a priest. I'm not totally sure on this. Uh, so for example, when I had a baptism last week, uh, the, the rubrics say that I'm putting my hand over the font while I'm calling the Holy Spirit down on it. Okay. So there, there may be times when a deacon might do it, but you're only doing it if the rubrics say to do that. Does that make sense? Stop. Okay. The next one is joined hands. Okay. Everybody uh, can, let's see, if, uh, I didn't bring it out. Or did I bring it out? Yeah. Where's the camera? Can you see that picture? This is that famous okay, drawing by Albrecht Durer. Okay. 
and the, 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 the detail work is fascinating, but that's not how we hold our hand because in his case, he had the thumbs up. Okay, so our way of doing it is, as is here in that little box that you see on your notes, they've defined hands joined as holding the palms sideward and together before the breast. So not up here, not down by your crotch, okay? Not holding your belly button in, but kind of comfortably, okay, here. In other words, it shouldn't look stiff or forced, okay? This is not standing at attention kind of thing. Am I being clear on that, okay? But this is the default setting for your hands. If you are not holding something and you're standing, okay, then your hands should be like this. Okay, same thing, standing or walking. Talk about sitting in a moment or two. So you understand what I mean by default setting there in your notes? Okay, thumbs crossed, chest level. I'm on the top of page two, the second bullet. Okay. One of the articles that I sent to you, I think, says that he thought the origin of it was uh, when in a military, in the Mediterranean, when people surrendered, that they were putting their hands out in order that they could be shackled or tied together so that he saw it as submission. I'm not so sure about the Roman origin. I haven't seen that anywhere other than that article. It could be true, but I can't footnote it. Uh, what I do know is that in the Middle Ages, that gesture and continues in the church is found frequently of you're putting your hands together and you're putting them forward to your superior who clasps your hand, your folded hands. Okay, there's only me here, so I can't show you both parts. I would have used one of you as a guinea pig if we were in a classroom. Not that you're a guinea pig, but you understand what I mean. Okay, so the holding of hands, when one made a religious profession, when you took your vows, when you were promising obedience as a religious, becoming a member of the community, you were kneeling down maybe in front of the provincial, okay? and you you said out loud your vows. It also is, as you have seen from ordinations, okay, that before you are ordained, each of the candidates goes up, kneels in front of the bishop, puts his hands out like this, okay, Cardinal Dolan grabs your hands on either side, and he says, do you promise respect and obedience to me and my successors? And your response, just like your wedding day, I do, okay? So it's still used in the church, it's used for the promise of obedience, it's used for the taking of vows, and if you can remember, maybe in your high school or college years, if your teacher went into the stuff on the Middle Ages, how the lower 
person swore fealty okay, to the one above okay, was that same gesture of kneeling and putting your hands in there. So it was pretty widespread as a gesture of um, in Europe. When Prince Charles became the Prince of Wales, okay, that he put his hands in his mother's hands and he promised to be her liege man. Okay, that's promising, you're promising obedience to the person in rank above you. Does it make sense to everybody? Any questions on that much? So it is one of, would the apostles have had their hands folded like this at the Last Supper? No, but it is the, it's a way of keeping your hands out of trouble, okay? at the altar and keeping them from picking your nose okay or putting a pencil in your ear moving on Isn't that funny holding so hands you see in the text there that i have I figured out a latin phrase manibus conjunctis hands joined together uh, now i do not want a show of hands okay? uh, there are many parishes okay, that the people hold hands during the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Everybody has seen it somewhere? Okay. I think it got popularized. Guys, if any of you who are involved in the Corsillo movement, right? I think that in the Corsillistas used to uh, hold hands for the the praying of the Our Father. But the article that I gave you, okay, goes a big song and dance, okay. But I think the what I have written here in this box, take a look at the page on the top of page two. In some places, a current practice whereby those taking part replace the offering of the sign of peace by holding hands during the singing of the Lord's Prayer, is this acceptable? Okay. And what they go on to say, and I think I may have made reference to this in a previous class, is that no, it's not acceptable. And the reason why is not because it's naughty, it's not because it's not nice, it's not because people should be afraid of touching one another in non-pandemic times, but rather that we have a sign of peace coming down the pike a bit, and you're stealing the thunder okay, for where it is not indicated. Okay? So, um, sake of discussion, you are a deacon, you are on the altar, you are with a priest that you have never served before, and it is time for him to uh, start the Our Father, and he calls you over and wants to grab your hand. Okay? What are you doing? What do you think, John? Trembly? Do it. Do it. Correct? Yes, yeah. sir. Because you're not going to start a fight on the altar. But afterwards, exactly. I'm gonna in private with no one around point out that 
you know, I don't know whether you saw this, Father, but there is a ruling against this. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to tell Am I making sense? We had a... I won't use names. We had a Dutchman uh, in our parish, and he had been in Africa for quite a few years beforehand, and uh, especially at... Well... He would go down at the kiss of peace to shake the hands of the people in the front pews. And afterwards I said to him, I don't know if you saw this because there had been something recently. I don't know if you happened to see this, but they just had a, they had a ruling on this that they're discouraging that. Okay. He says, oh no, I know. Okay. So he was going to go ahead and do it anyway. But after that, I would certainly wouldn't join him. Okay, but are you with me on? You need to handle that delicately. And we okay. call you to call the priest. <laughs> and we call you and ask you to make the call. <laughs> no, but you can show him my notes. Again, deacons don't make policy. Okay, you do the right thing. Okay, can't stop him from doing the wrong thing. Okay. But you see, the reason, in other words, it's not just a question of there's a rule, don't do it, that they've, they've explained okay, why it is that they would prefer that it not be done. And that seems to make sense. You don't undercut okay, something that's coming down the pike a bit. Right? Make sense? Any questions on that much? Okay. Uh, now, this is a bit of an aside. Okay. In the article... Well, no, it's... Let me go on. The giving and the receiving of the pox. I'm going to go to the article itself in a moment or two. Uh, it's snide. It's... I didn't like the tone of the article, even though he gives us some good... After the opening paragraphs, gives us some good... Uh, historical information that's interesting from a uh, at your next cocktail party as trivia but not necessarily helpful so the rules are that is how we give the pox is going to be defined by each conference of bishops in the united states what they've put in the missile is okay the celebrant says Peace of the Lord be with you. And the response also with you. The text in red then says, then, comma, if appropriate, comma, the deacon, comma, or the priest, comma, adds, let us offer each other the sign of peace. Okay? The phrasing of that means, do we have to do the sign of peace at every Mass. No. Did it need a pandemic to say, uh, during a, I, I think I quoted to you, one of my, who's, any of you up in, uh, say Martin Kapoor's in Poughkeepsie? No. Uh, Mike Siriali is, is a deacon up there, and he was the deacon for one of the last masses in the cathedral before we went to shut down. It was a Sunday, and 
archbishop says, let peace of the Lord be with you. A congregation answered, Mike Siriale, this is his big spoken line in the, in the cathedral, let us offer each other the sign of peace, just the way it should be said. And the archbishop says, let's not. When your archbishop says, let's not, okay, we don't do it, okay? So I guess what I'm most wanting to say is that it really is an option. To not do it would really be the priest's call, not a deacon's call. Uh, in my parish, at first communions, okay, the pastor always tells me we're not going to do the kiss of peace when we've got all of these little kids in their white gowns and okay, because he is worried about it degenerating into everybody starts waving high to Aunt Agatha okay, and we lose the train of thought and I think that, that makes absolute sense okay? but note it is the, who is the primary one to offer the invitation okay? it's the deacon okay comprending now, here's where I wanted to get with, okay. without going with the sarcasm of the article, okay. in the, when he made reference to in a solemn mass, which was the only time that we really did it liturgically, okay. I am the primary, I'm giving the, giving the pox, and that's P-A-X, not P-O-X. I'm giving the pox to someone else. I take my two hands and I lay them on the shoulders of the person that I'm giving it to. Clear? The person receiving puts his hands, elbows at his side, and puts the palms of his hands on the elbows of the person giving it. Got it? Can you visualize that? Okay. And then everybody goes once to the right. Because you're facing in different directions, if you're doing it correctly, no head bumps should occur. Okay. It's very solemn. It's very tasteful. Okay but it gets the cross of who is the giver and who is the receiver. At one time, obviously like it would go from the celebrant to the deacon, the deacon to the subdeacon. And then in that article, he laid out for you in medieval England of how it caused problems because there was a pecking order. Okay. And the pecking order is, is no longer used outside of the sanctuary. But I think that it's a good one to know. Uh, is it required to do it that way by the rubrics? No, it's not required to do it that way. It could be just a simple ambrosio, okay? But the reality is, is that in, in a formal occasion, okay, everybody knowing how the rules work, okay, and in which direction our heads are going, okay? So it, it's a kiss of peace because of its connections to the New Testament where Paul and Peter say, greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay. 
after ordination, there is the diaconate ordination that seven represent in this diocese because the bishop thinks that it would extend the ordination ceremony too long. Only seven deacons give the kiss to the newly ordained. But at an ordination to the priesthood, all the priests present give the kiss of peace to the newly ordained. At a consecration of a bishop, if there are 200 bishops there, because they all show up for the consecration of a bishop, and then 200 of them are filing by to give the kiss of peace to the newly ordained. Comprende? Everybody thinks that they would be comfortable with this. Obviously, if we were in a classroom, I would be asking you to practice with one another. And we go from one to the other around the room, okay, so that we got comfortable with the gesture. I happen to think that one of the things that got misunderstood, remember now I'm talking kiss a piece, a confirmations in the Western Rite, doesn't apply in the Eastern Rite because it was a baby who got baptized, confirmed, and made First Communion all together. But in the West, we separated those sacraments of initiation, baptism, years later confirmation, and then after that, First Communion. That having the old formula was I sign you with the sign of the cross and I seal you with the chrism of salvation in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That was the formula that I was confirmed with until Paul VI changed it. But it was after that that the bishop then touched the cheek of the person that he just confirmed. Everybody remember learning about that as a kid? Do you remember somebody saying to you that it was a blow on the cheek, okay, that the bishop might slap you? He was trying to show you, toughen up, boy, in other words, that you're going to have to be a soldier of Christ. Okay. Completely misconstruing, it was the kiss of peace that you had been confirmed. And now, just as we do for diaconate or presbyterate or uh, episcopal ordinations, Okay, that it was the greeting okay, and the welcoming, the accepting into the community. So if you're ever teaching a confirmation class, I wouldn't go heavy on the, you know, be careful children, the bishop might just slug you, right? You know, try not to fall on the floor. Okay, it, it sends them off in wrong directions. Okay, agreed? Okay. All right. Moving on to this one. I think I may have asked a question and I don't remember the answer, so I'm going to ask it again. By a show of hands, if you have, other than the Maronite Mass at the seminary, if you've ever been to Mass in any Eastern Rite, show hands. I have. Danny, did you say yes? I said yes. Uh, Anthony, which right, Anth? It was uh, Romanian. It was actually a Romanian baptism. Ah, okay. But not to Mass yet. Uh, no, it wasn't. A, well, there was a Mass, but um, 
and the baptism was after the the mass. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. And Paul, what about you? I don't remember. It was over thirty years ago, but it was a a, a uh, an, an Eastern uh, rite. Of, I don't know if they had the equivalent of cardinal or, hmm? or what you would call it, some type of a bishop. And it was in uh, the uh, Basilica of Saint Mary Major in Rome. Oh wow! Yeah, I just by number, just by chance, just by chance, I wasn't planning to be there. Okay. And I just remembered when I was in Rome, I was in St. Paul's Beyond the Walls, outside the walls, and my wife and I accidentally caught an Eastern Rite. And it was an Eastern Rite, right? Okay. Here's where I'm going with this, is that in the Western Rites, we use unleavened bread, and it's wafer-shaped. Unleavened bread because we are underlying the connection with Passover, we're underlying it with the bread of affliction and therefore the crucifixion. We are trying also to connect it with the manna in the desert, where Exodus says that it looked like a wafer. Okay, so we have those overtones right, of trying to understand this reality by the types from the past. We, I don't know whether we're in the Black Death, but we stopped giving the cup to laity. It became a problem for John Huss and the boys in the 1400s. And then it degenerated into a question of authority. And when it becomes an authority issue, it almost, the original problem fades into the background. So the Hussites were saying, if we don't get the cup, you are keeping from the lay people the full graces of the sacrament. Okay. Tommy Aquinas had already talked about concomitance, a technical word to mean that even though there are two elements, okay, that the reality of the graces the totality of the graces, even though what kinds of graces are going to be explained by the two different symbols, nevertheless, the totality of the graces is whether you receive just the host or you receive just the cup. Comprende, everybody? Okay. Because we had that from the 13th centuries, and now the Hussites are saying Tommy doesn't have that accurately okay. that we what we wound up doing because of the authority issue okay the church rules at Trent okay that it is only to be given under the one species okay and that doesn't get reversed until the second Vatican Council in the Eastern Church they didn't have that fight going on and they always gave it under both species because they wanted to underline the connection with the resurrection. They always used leavened bread, bread that had risen as a symbol of that aspect of the Paschal mystery. And so basically there were loaves that were baked and then cut up into cubes consecrated as cubes and then 
after the consecration, eventually at some point, it gets added into a rather large chalice. So the thick bread cubes absorb the blood. And when you go to communion, let us say in a Byzant most Byzantine rites, you come forward, you put your hands like this, put your head back, and they tell you, do not put out your tongue, but open your mouth wide, okay? You come up to the minister, you usually say your name, and he, the minister then would say, the servant of God, Paul, receives the body and blood of Christ. Okay? And then he takes one of the cubes, okay, puts it inside your mouth, and turns it, and so that that little bit of blood and the wine-soaked cube right, go onto your tongue. Spoon comes out, you close your mouth, you turn around and go pray. Okay. Are you with me on that, that ceremonial? We've been telling people in the Roman Rite, if you're going to be part of the communion procession and you don't want to receive, this is the gesture that, okay, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I wish we could come up with a different one. And at this stage of the game, I don't think we can because it's so widely used, at least in our country. This gesture, which means I don't want to go to communion, is one that in the Eastern Church means this is how everybody goes to communion. Are you with me on the difficulty? Okay. So you got to know what kind of a church you're in, okay, of how they're going to read the sign. But I thought I would mention that. Can Next I ask, item, uh, Deacon George, ahead. can I ask a quick question about that? Good. No, it doesn't have to be a quick one. All right. So if you're a Eucharistic minister, forget about Deacon and someone comes up and they cross their arms in front of you um, and they want a blessing, are you allowed to give, to make the sign of the cross in front of them? No. To, okay. As a I think the simplest thing to do, Anthony, is just say, God bless you. Okay. Or I, I, I will pray for you. Now, probably God bless you is better, right? I'll pray for you means... You must be a sinner in words, and I'm better than you are, so I'm going to pray that eventually you'll come to communion. So I take that back. Don't say, I'll pray for you. Okay. Say, God bless you. How about as a deacon? As a deacon, I, what? I got to go back a step, Anthony, and to say that there is controversy. There's nothing written on this in the rubrics per se. Okay, and so we have some people who, for a long time, okay, were used to a priest. I'm talking about giving a blessing, okay, making the sign of the cross over the head of the person with arms crossed. Uh, sometimes silently, sometimes with words. Okay, then there were other people noticing that that was going on fairly widely who said, just as we had in this earlier discussion about the pox, about not holding hands at the Our Father, that it undercut the pox, we now have a blessing, and this is not the time where we give out blessings. Okay. So that's the reason for why um, there is opposition 
by some for a priest or a deacon giving a sign of the cross blessing over the non-communicant. I'll tell you what I do. I think that I am, to the best of my ability, punting on this. Okay. So when they come up, okay, then this was in previous to the pandemic time, I would put my hand over their head and not say a word. Okay. And then the hand would come down. So I was saying a silent prayer of blessing for them, but I wasn't making the gesture of blessing, or at least not the ordinary gesture of blessing. And I wasn't saying anything. So I was trying to be kind to that camp, which said, save it for the end. And yet I was not ignoring the person. I was doing something. Okay. Does that sound to you like a successful punt? Yeah. So, so it's okay if I say, may God bless you. Yeah. And, and at this point, because we sanitize our hands be, before, you know, giving out communion, if I put my hand on their head and just That's say a okay. silent blessing, it's okay. Now, for a deacon, yes. Right. Okay. Like you can't use that gesture as a non-deacon. Right. No, exactly. So a, a Eucharistic minister can only say, if he's going to say anything at all, God bless you. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. Thank you. In a place where it's not crowded, I know that I have seen some Eucharistic ministers who send them over to the priest line. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's going a little too far. Yeah, no, when you're talking about 400 people, I don't think that's going to work. Correct. Okay. You know, in a smaller setting, it might work. Okay. But, you know, if you gather that few people, it shouldn't have been a, maybe you didn't need if it was very few people, you probably didn't need a Eucharistic minister anyway. Right. Unless, unless the Eucharistic minister was distributing the cup. Right. In which right. case, in Roman right, you would need him. Okay. Is this all too complicated, people? Is everybody following the discussion? Okay. You see how we're trying to balance? Okay. Um, and again, why is it not in the rubric? Because they don't foresee it being done. Okay. I... Because I just came off retreat there, sometimes I'm not remembering whether it's stuff that I've told you or whether I told them last week. Uh, but it's like going to the tabernacle, okay? If you, you're sent to the tabernacle as an acolyte, and you open the door, you genuflect, okay? You take the Blessed Sacrament, now you've got the Blessed Sacrament. You don't genuflect again, okay? You carry the ciborium to the altar. And putting it away, ciborium goes in, you genuflect again, you close the door and lock it. Okay. Is that in the rubrics? No, because they foresee that only the hosts, you're not, they don't foresee you going to the tabernacle because you were consecrating at that mass all of the hosts that you needed for the people. A previous pastor would say, those were rules made by somebody without any pastoral experience. Okay. Everybody comfortable with uh, where we are so far? Okay. So let us, uh, I think we have covered, is there any questions that any of you have on any of the things on these 
three pages. Dan Cornell, you're looking very carefully. That's a big sound system you have back there, Danny. Okay. We still have we still have to cover uh, when seated. Say again. And we still have to cover when sitting. Yes. Okay. Okay. Okay, we've got all the stuff about arms. Right? Now this, you're saying to yourself, wait a second, if we were talking hands and arms, why do you have this part about sitting here? Okay. Because it's what you do with your hands when you are sitting, and that is that they're to be on your knees. Okay? If you're in the sanctuary, feet on the ground, okay? Hands on your knees. That, I don't know, it's, it's not going to get this. Um, it keeps you still, okay? It keeps you from becoming a distraction, okay? If the Archbishop has got his legs crossed sitting on the Episcopal throne, he can get away with it, but you don't. Okay. And whereas pretty basically, as I think you should have seen maybe between the lines in our Elements of Right book, okay, that you are to fade into the furniture except when you are doing something or you have a role to fulfill. That makes sense to people? Okay, Paul. I'm sorry, that's a Paul Peter. My middle name's Paul, so you were right. Okay, Peter and Paul. Uh, I used to do when I sat down is, you know, hold my hands together on my lap. That's not good? Put them on your knees. Uh, well, is, you're asking if it's good. I'm not going to tell you it's bad. What I'm going to tell you is this is what the rubric says. So in the... In the ceremonial of bishops, okay, number 109, yep. in other words, that this comes back to some rules may be widely ignored, but my job is to teach you what you ought to be doing, okay? And okay. where do we go from hands like this to this? Foot up, okay, yeah. Get to yawning because the Sir Homily has gone on for 20 minutes or so, okay. Pretty basically, during a homily, obviously he says a funny, you should be able to laugh. If he, uh, he's saying something very serious, you can frown your brow. But other than that, okay, okay, you should not be, every eye in the congregation is looking at you, okay? You, you follow what I'm trying to get across there? Okay, so that hands on your knees okay, keeps you where you want to be. Yeah, making a gesture like you're crazy and you don't know what he's talking about. Very poor form, okay? 
be looking at him though, right? Yeah. Hands on your knees. It's now uh, five to eight. Shall we take a, a good ten minute break? Is that acceptable to everyone? Okay. Uh, Dick, uh, I just want to make you aware that Dan Castro had computer issues and he hasn't been able to log in. I told him to try to log in through his cell phone. He might be coming in for the other half. Thank you for letting me know. All right. Mm -hmm. and you can see Dan Condon joined us too, but not by video. Yeah, see, uh, believe it or not, this has a, uh, a thing where if you try me, it won't do the video. It's amazing. You should on video when you drive me. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be really bad. <laughs> Hands free. Hands <laughs> your, on your knees. You're not, you're not driving now, are you, Denny? I, I am, but I, I can hear everything perfectly, so... But, uh, Dan, making, but if you're yes. driving, Dan, keep your hands on the steering wheel, not on your knees. Uh, well, I was practicing those moves, you know. Okay. Together and, uh, <laughs> very good. Appreciate everybody. Okay, we'll see you in a few minutes, Danny. Concentrate yes. on the mode. I will. A couple of comments on the other articles that I gave you and... Then I just want to uh, make some comments on the uh, Elements of Right book that I had asked you to read. Uh, uh, probably the first one is in this one on the Orons. Okay. Faithful not to use the Orons posture during the Our Father. Um, in the middle of the first paragraph, there is a line that says, because of the germ's silence, many people have taken this to mean that the faithful may do whatever they want. Okay. And he goes on to say, however, that's not the case. Okay. Could I underline that? Okay. In other words, that... back to that basic principle that I've asked you all to write down say the black do the red subcorollary to that don't add don't subtract okay. it doesn't say that you're not allowed to prostrate yourself in front of the altar at the consecration laying flat on the ground and because it doesn't say that you not allowed to do it, that it's okay to do that. No, 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 no. Okay? You do what it says to do. You don't add, you don't subtract. So, with that, I agree with him. Okay? And the very last sentence in the article, okay, this is not the time nor the place to get creative and inject one's own style and preferences. It's the last line on page two. Okay. It is Christ's Mass. It is the people of God's Mass. It is no individual's private devotion. Comprende? Okay. All right. The second article is one on Modern Medievalism and the subtitle was The Kiss of Peace. It had some interesting information. 
but it also was a great example of number one that bottom of the first page is filled with sarcasm okay he doesn't like people who have an alternative point of view sarcasm doesn't work for us guys okay now there is there's that famous line about you know, uh, children who are raised with this they become that and children should not be raised with sarcasm in our household both children and parents have developed sarcasm to a high art form okay which is but outside of the household okay should not be used certainly by any minister of the gospel are we going with that because it's going to be overwhelmingly not interpreted as being clever it's going to be interpreted as being mean and that you never want to be right okay um and then the second part of that is this is from some kind of, a, of an individual's blog and it reminds you that just because it's written doesn't mean that it's necessarily good or right and, and that's a, just a caution that I throw to add on to all of Frank's things about the dangers of the social media, whether TikTok or Facebook or Pandora's box or whatever other names we're using. Uh, this is an aside, okay? And those of you who have access to Hulu, no, to Netflix. If you have Hulu and I've got Netflix on, there is a documentary that they've got there that my family watched last week, and I am recommending it to you. Uh, the title of it was The Social Dilemma. Peter is uh, nodding his head vigorously for those who can't see him. Basically, it is trying to explain why social media is free, because you are not the consumer, you are the product, and they are selling your attention and time okay, to the advertisers, and that a lot of subliminal techniques are being used to keep you going and keep you scrolling and what's worse in this again i recommend that you see for yourselves and feel free to disagree if you don't like it but that it really stresses that some of this great political nasty divide that we have in our country right now is fed by social media because it tells you what you think already and shows you other people thinking the same and therefore anybody everybody that you've talked to already knows that it must be only stupid people who disagree and the guy who was the former president of pinterest okay, uh, for my wife it was a very telling line of his that he does not allow his children access to social media and one that really struck me later on is that 
he sees that if there is not some regulation going on, that it's going to wind up in civil war. Uh, we are in dangerous times, boys. Um, so a house divided against itself shall not stand. Um, so one, and again, I'm repeating Frank's thing, post nothing partisan on any public access of any kind. Agreed? Okay. You are no longer just you. Okay. Even though you're not installed or ordained or anything, okay, the people who would disagree with you okay, would be splashing your, quote, identity as a church minister. Okay. Amen? Okay. But that's as an aside. In any case, uh, the point that I wanted to draw to your attention in this one saw other ways of doing it and the whole business of them fighting okay in church taking this um, the pox and hitting one another over the head with it okay anything that's going to provide a weapon in church okay we don't need next item I just want to make some comments on elements of right And the first one that I want to draw to your attention is page 31. This might be the same. I'm pretty sure the page numbers are the same in whatever edition. In the middle of the page, it's number 24. You don't have to have it, just listen. Okay. To be consumed with worry over making a liturgical mistake is the greatest mistake of all. Reverence is a virtue, not a neurosis. And God can take care of himself. Everybody with me? Okay. Is it important of how you behave there? Yes. Okay. You knock over an unconsecrated chalice of wine, okay, accidentally, you're not going to do time in purgatory. Clear? Okay. Yep. How do you know? <laughs> yeah. Peter, when you get to the heavenly gate, if you get there, you can speak to your namesake and you can quote me. Okay? Fuck it. The next thing that I want to draw to your attention is 53. They're talking, and this is a good section in here. Page, page 53? 53. Five, three. Page? Page 53. Okay. And it, the section says sites, and I'm now down into the, I think, the third sentence. Again, listen if you don't have the book. Ministers must not pose or seem pompous. Neither should they be careless or seem to be self-conscious or flippant 
or condescending. They must be and seem to be completely attuned to the nature of the event and the assembly celebrating. A sense of natural physical grace in deportment, a sense of simple dignity, a certain self-discipline with regard to personal idiosyncrasies translate into a general impression by the assembly of its being respected and completely served by its liturgical ministers. So what I've been talking, hopefully trying to communicate really through all of these is what we're doing, how we're behaving on the altar is either going to add to or detract from the prayer of the assembly, servants of the assembly. So we don't want to be so stiff that somebody thinks it's a military parade, okay? A Paris Island Marine Corps graduation, okay? Chins tucked in, right? Nor should it be flippant and, and casual. What we're doing is important, okay? But we're not robots, okay? It has to be, in a sense, kind of like Gregorian chant. There's no beats to, to Gregorian chant, okay? It goes smoothly. One thing leads in and out to the other. But there is a good sense of that how you carry your body, you are saying whether or not this is important or not important. Comprende? Okay. Next item I wanted to highlight, 55. In, on our retreat with the fourth year matches really should call them the postgrads okay awaiting frank kept referring to liturgy service on the altar in some ways like a dance okay and each partner needs to know what the moves are okay in order that you, nobody bumps into anybody else but it, it says here so highly a complex a social art as liturgy must must maintain a defined order of regular expectations lest it fails to be a participated event one done by a host of different people for a common purpose and then down on the line in that same paragraph at the end to ignore these canons or rules runs the highest risk of leading the assembly into idiosyncratic dead ends, no matter how appealing these may appear to be at the moment. We're back to it's public worship, okay? It's not an individual's. Next item, 66. Seventy-eight. Here we go. Because you've got you are as re, coming up as readers. Okay. Page seventy-eight. I'm in the second section down. The third sentence starting. The liturgical minister who cannot 
for whatever reason, read the assembly's biblical and liturgical text as they stand in the assembly's approved books should disqualify himself or herself from the assembly's liturgical ministry. Otherwise, the minister runs a high risk of polarizing the assembly by focusing attention on the minister's own personal views about what he or she thinks is best for the assembly to hear. Is that making sense to people? Okay. Um, George, how long have you lived in St. John's Parish? Five, well, five years. I mean, I was 50 years in this station. Okay, good. Okay, because you do, therefore, there's a less chance of you knowing who I'm going to be talking about. Okay. Yeah. There was a nun who, and, and by the way, this nun was not one of the religious of Jesus and Mary. Okay. okay. Staffed the school. So they're all exempt from this. But this was a nun who lectured in our church. And she had a doctorate in scripture from Fordham University. Okay. So this is not a Johnny come lately. She knew some of her stuff. But when she would be the lector, she sometimes made changes in the text. I'm not going to say that she was changing the male to the female kind of thing. Really? And I said to her, sister, because I did say something to her, sister, I trust you know what you're doing, okay? But the point is for the average member of the congregation, if you don't like a text and you feel free to change it and you know what you're doing, how do I tell the person who doesn't know what they're doing and wants to change a text that they are not allowed to. It's best if there be one rule for everybody, nobody changes the text as written. If you think it's wrong or that the Holy Spirit wasn't doing a good job, then write the bishop's conference, okay? And express your dissatisfaction, but you don't play those games on a congregation. Comprending? Okay. Does that make sense to people? Okay. And read it well. Okay. Um, and I'm pretty sure that that covers all that I wanted to. You can. Yep. Wait. Question. Yeah. Well, just a comment. Years ago, when my pastor uh, asked for people to, because he, he only had a handful of lectors, I remember he made a profound statement and he showed us the. Uh, the proclaimer's handbook and he said when you're up here you're proclaiming the word of god slow down every comma yeah, every exclamation oh. point okay. he said you know yeah we got proclaim it. it don't rush through it you got it it goes back to robert that there were there were some people who when they said finish the text and it says there now the word of the Lord, okay? That they'd close it, the word of the Lord, okay? Not good, 
This is a book. It contains the word of the Lord. The proclamation is the word, is the word of the Lord. Okay? It's what is being, what comes out of your mouth, okay, is, if you will, spirit-infused. And you never know how exactly it is making an impression of a variety of sorts in the various ears and minds that it comes in contact with. But you are a privileged medium by which the Holy Spirit and Christ, the Word of God, is reaching out to the people. Okay? So I'm agreeing totally with you and hopefully underlying it a little bit more. Okay? Questions? Okay. Now, I'm done for the day. Uh, there is one question I want to deal with with John Trembley. Uh, John, is it okay to bring up the whole thing I with the group or absolutely okay uh, tell me john if i am remembering accurately uh, you have an acquaintance who left the church went pentecostal uh i'm not going to be snide and say saw the error of his ways and has returned to holy mother uh, i won't say that but is practicing some type of a healing ministry, you said. And uh, in your discussions with the gentleman, uh, somehow the laying on of hands came up as a topic of conversation. You expressed some evidence that you had read the notes or other sources and that laying in our right the laying on of hands is is a uh, has more than ordinary sign value and is therefore restricted to correct the priest's hands, yeah the priest's hands are sacred his laying out of hands is, shows, first of all, authority. Uh, it's also potentially the, you know, conferring the Holy Spirit in certain instances. And even the deacon laying out of hands only in specific, when you say when it's only in the rubrics, are we allowed to put our hands on someone um, other than when it's in the red? Uh, that's what I read anyway. But the one question I have was, when you are praying with someone, it's almost a natural thing to have some kind of physical touch. Pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so here, here I'm, I'm trying to come up with something. I have, a, I have a hesitation and a comment and hopefully a punt. My hesitation is an individual practicing a healing ministry not like yours anthony okay where there is a professional supervision or whether your psychiatric brethren okay that again is something that's got okay one doesn't one doesn't practice psychology or psychology psychiatry or medicine or dentistry on one's own 
Agreed? Correct. Where does this gentleman... receive his certainty that he has received this gift okay that that's my my caution part okay and maybe he has remember saint thomas says that uh, i'm paraphrasing thomas christ guarantees to act through the sacraments amen he will always, even if the priest is an adulterer, if he celebrates Mass in the state of mortal sin, he has committed blasphemy as well as sacrilege, but it's still Jesus on the altar because it's Christ acting through him. This is that part that hopefully you heard the Latin in a dogma course, ex opere operato from the work having been performed, not like devotional stuff, ex opere operantis. You want a holy priest, the holier the priest, the more grace that you would get from a blessing. But whether a sacrilegious priest or a very holy priest, it's still the same Jesus and still the fullness of the graces. Comprending on that? So I want to know who has he talked to to authorize him to continue to do this? Because when Paul talks about, I guess it's in Corinthians, guys, you can correct me on this. I don't have Paul memorized. But when he talks about the variety of gifts, all of the gifts of the Spirit are never for the benefit of the individual. They are always for the building up of the community. Okay? And if they're not building up the community, then they probably ain't coming necessarily from the paraclete, but could possibly be coming from the father of lies who likes to masquerade. And okay, so that's the warning part. I, I want him to go uh, go talk to his pastor, go talk to the vicar. Um, you know, um, I, so I, I, it, it's, I am not showing, hopefully, an antagonism towards charismatic gifts. There are people who have the gift of healing apart from the anointing of the sick. Okay. But I'd want some authorization. Okay. Does that make sense? No, definitely, Father. All right, Deacon. Father Deacon is okay. We can play Eastern Rain. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, like you said, what we learned today from what I learned in liturgy is we have to be very careful of whatever we do with our hands and any gestures we make um, because they are, they are they are meant for the priest and they and they mean something. Okay. So, and the hands of the deacon, okay, are the hands of the bishop. Okay. Fucking joke. I, I would say in comment to responding to John's concern. I started listening to Christian music a while back. You know, the, um, the amount of Catholic Christian music out there is kind of limited. 
So I came across a lot of this Pentecostal and, and other Protestant form, like Hillsong worship and Bethel music come to mind. And more and more to them, I, I heard of some tractors. Then I watched a YouTube about a fellow who was a member of the Hillsong Church. And this was exactly his objection, that they have a practice of laying on hands of engaging in healing type of, um, and, and his thought was is that a lot of this is becoming cultish more than anything else. And it's attracting young people, and that's what's really scary, obviously. Yeah, okay. It's turned me off, um, you know, obviously, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, that you know, that's going on out there with a lot of, you know, people. So this, that's the danger part, in other words, it's got to be that, that we need to, if you want to say that your gift is truly legitimate, okay, then get in touch with authority for the authorization somehow, okay? Last part would be a, a punt. If we're saying to them that they shouldn't put their hands on a head like this, okay? Oh, by the way, I now remember where I do lay the hands on it, would be the blessing of a parent at the end of baptism, okay? So that, um, but what he could do is he could put his hands on, on the sides of their arms so that it would be more of an embrace gesture rather than an embrace, okay, which is more widespread than the laying on of hands. Okay. Um, I, did, I did some reading about it, and one of the things that I read was it just has no value. It has no, you know, if, if you're a lay person and you're doing something and it does mimic what a priest might have done, it has no value. So well, you're doing well, You've got to be careful of that in order that it. it it doesn't have no value, okay? In other words, that one of the books that you are, maybe not this year, but next year, or towards the end of next year, you're going to want to invest in, because I haven't heard anything about it going through a revision, is the Book of Blessings, okay? Hopefully, in most of your sacristies, there's a hardcover copy of the Book of Blessings, read the introduction to the book of blessings blessings are primarily prayer and we went okay, probably in, in maybe in reaction to uh, the protestant revolt okay, that for so much time many of our blessing rituals were restricted blessings only these ones could be given by bishops. Only these ones could be given by priests. Uh, the ones that an acolyte was allowed to do was to bless first fruits. Okay? But everything was restricted. In the revision, okay, and you saw, possibly saw those lines in the Constitution, it said we don't want that. Okay? We want it opened up and so that you you will see paging through many blessings are allowable to be given by lay people. Okay. But certain ones are restricted to clergy. Okay. Um, am I making sense of what I'm, the point I'm trying to get across there? Okay. Yes. Insofar as it is a prayer for somebody else and that they be healed of their affliction, that's gotta be a good thing. Okay. 
unless they're playing, praying to Beelzebub. Okay. Now I'm going to bring up something that I, I want to be careful on how I phrase this. Okay. I, I did not have a, an enjoyable evening last night from nine o'clock on. Um, even if I were at a dinner table and everybody is talking at once, you know, old age, it makes to be able to follow the conversation difficult. That said, my understanding is that it is this coming Wednesday, a week from today, is the second debate, I think, of the vice presidential candidates. Would anybody want to confirm that for me? Yes. Yes, it is. Now, actually, if they're going to start at nine, it really doesn't make a difference. I, 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 my concern was that if it was going to start and be at the same time of our class time, I was going to offer to you to move it in one direction or another or move it to another day. But now that I'm thinking nine o'clock will certainly be over by that time. And if you want to keep yourself as an informed elector and put yourself through that, okay, that you will certainly have the freedom to do so and we will not be in the way time-wise. Am I picking my words carefully enough? Yes, you are. As the Lord has blessed us in our coming together and enjoying one another's company this evening, and hopefully learning on how better to serve God's people, not my people, his people, of whom I am a servant, and May he guard us in our going from one another and keep us safe for another week. Amen. Amen. Pray for my school is going to have their first communion on Saturday. Cool. Hopefully nobody comes down with coronavirus or gives it to anybody else. Okay. A lot of nervous parents out there. Okay, So be gentle with folk. Amen. Amen. I'll say hello to Nadine tomorrow, George. Do it tomorrow? Okay, I'll let her know. I'm burying people tomorrow. Okay. okay. Nighty night, all. Good night. Safe home. Good night. <laughs> oh, I got that long commute. <laughs> Fuck you, you asshole.
Fuck you.